Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. It is April 11th of 2023 and this is my Q&A number 139 made for my Facebook virtual coaching group. I'd like to welcome new member Alana from Florida and also congratulate the personal best drawing winner from March. That would be Jen and Little Man in Florida. So congratulations, but congratulations to all. There were 32 names on the March drawing list, which is awesome. Just remember every small personal best you meet or any small goal you meet leads to taking action daily, weekly, and monthly. And pretty soon you'll notice your big goals, your big personal best are coming true and all of your dreams will start to come true. Um, I'd like to share a story with you guys before we get started. Um, Yesterday, my son turned 26 years old. And I have to say, um, being a mom was a wonderful thing. I love being a mom. I I can remember um, today I kind of, um, I woke up a little bit sad. I guess, uh, you know, my dad's leaving Friday and he's been with me gosh, five or six months now. And um, he came here to help me with my hip surgery, which I had to postpone due to some other stuff that came up and financially and personally and uh, business and such. Um, So I put it off until February. And then he's been here. um, My son was here for a week to take care of me after surgery. And then my dad's been taking care of the ranch and the horses for the last uh, month until I could do it on my own. And, um, I kind of took it over the last couple weeks and he leaves on Friday. So that kind of makes me sad, but I think back about being a mom and what a great gift it is. And I think even further back with that and how we all have, we all have things that we want, things that we wish that we could do, or we have an ideal dream in our mind of what we want. And And sometimes it doesn't come true and we don't always understand. And that leaves me to think about Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Um, I remember when I was young and my family was always around. And then I wanted, you know, someone to share my life with, a best friend to spend my time with and hang out with. And, and, um, you know, my family was very busy. Everyone had their own things they did, but we all still lived in the same area. And it was nice. We spent um, Sundays, we'd, we'd go to church on Friday nights, and we'd have Sunday barbecues. And um, it was just a really nice time in our life. Um, and then I w- wanted a best friend. I, I'm, and then I met my husband to be. And uh, we spent every single day together for like two years. Then we got married and moved to Colorado. And then his job um, took him away a lot. And for work and stuff. And so that made things difficult. I also met a bunch of barrel racing friends when I started TLC. And, um, so, you know, he'd be gone nights and weekends and, you know, and I just wanted someone to share my life with and spend time with. So I had a, a, some friends that I was really close with in Colorado. And I remember wanting to, um, have a friend that I could spend maybe one day a week with and go barrel racing with or ride with or whatever. And, and of course, 
of my closest friends, everybody gets busy, you know, with your families and all of that. <coughs> so long story short, I had Dalton. <coughs> and Dalton was my new buddy. And we were with him. I was with him every day until he went off to college. And um, that really filled that void for me. So as my husband's job continued to grow and he climbed the ladder and we moved to Louisiana for a year after eight years in Colorado, I started TLC over. But then he wasn't happy. I was happy. He had a huge family. We were with all his family, uh, 10 brothers and sisters and 20 some cousins Dalton's age and Every weekend, I'd do a barrel race on Saturday, and we'd have a family um, cookout, you know, crab, crawfish, whatever, uh, on Sundays at my house and stuff. It was fun, but he wasn't happy. Um, so we went to Florida chasing his career, and I told him when we got there and my son started school, I wasn't going to move again. Wherever my son started school is where he would stay, and then if he chose to travel with his job, so be it. We would be here and he would have to come to us. And um, and that's what we did. And he did. He traveled. He was gone. And um, I never had that girlfriend that I hung out with. I never had the husband that I hung out with. But I had Dalton. And uh, Dalton and I did everything together. Um, all his sporting events. 4-H. 4-H fairs with chickens and cows and steers and roping and uh, he played basketball and baseball and he was a very active kid but TLC was always my passion there I did TLC while Dalton was at school and um, I took care of Dalton when he was home and you know that was my life pretty much we'd have one family day on the weekend I'd barrel race one day and and that was it well when Dalton went off to college I didn't think I'd be that mom that you know, would miss their child so much because I had my horses, I had barrel racing, I had that passion. But I did. I found myself really missing my son. And, um, <clears throat> but of course that didn't last long because my son, after a year of college, then my husband asked for a divorce and he wanted to travel and do things and, and, um, he moved back to Louisiana, go figure. So now I'm alone in Florida with my son in college and not a single soul of family left. Dalton's in Georgia, Skeet's in Louisiana, and I'm in Florida with my business. And I think, what in the world has happened? So again, I don't know what God has planned for me. And after the divorce, a couple years goes by and my knee, my my hip is giving out. So now I can't even train horses. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I end up selling my ranch and I buy a small ranch that I can pay off and not have a fat mortgage. And um, so now I'm debt free, but just living expenses. But now what? What do I do? I can't train horses. I've been a horse trainer 25 years. So COVID hits and everything shuts down. Leaves you alone with your thoughts a lot. So I'm like, well, maybe it's time to change my life. You know, I'm on my own now and my body's wore out. and I've spent, you know, 27 years doing this 
it's all I've ever done, except when I was in my early 20s, I had outside sales job for uh, a uh, uh, Apple uh, outside sales job for a temporary placement company and then outside sales job for a decal company. Um, so I did outside sales. I did receptionist work before that. I, I mean, I had some corporate world jobs in my early 20s. But mainly, you know, I've been a horse trainer for, you know, 20 some years. So anyhow, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So I, I go ahead and I start looking at things that I know how to do, like bookkeeping. I've kept my books from Quicken and something I can do from home because it's COVID. And then I come across this copywriting program for $500. You can learn to be a copywriter. Well, I've done that too. I've marketed my own business successfully for 27 years. So I decide, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I joined this thing and <coughs> I think it's kind of cool. And I, you know, I start learning about it. And the lady who runs it, she says to me, why don't you just coach people for a living? She goes, you have almost 30 years or you have over 30 years because you've been doing it your whole life, not just professionally, but even before professionally, you have over 30 years of knowledge in your head. Why don't you just pivot from training to coaching? Your time is your most valuable asset and you can, um, all that knowledge in your mind, you can teach. And, you know, I'd always done lessons and clinics and always been a coach, but I never thought of myself coaching full time. It was like a light bulb moment, and I pivoted my business right then and there, August of 2020, from when COVID shut us all down in March and not knowing what I was going to do, and just moving to Keystone, selling my big ranch in Groveland, in Florida, and moving to Keystone in, uh, I guess it was November of 2019, and then COVID hit March 2020. It was so much changes. So I start my online coaching not knowing if it's going to take off, but thinking, okay, I'm just going to do lessons, clinics, and virtual coaching, and I'm going to pray that God meets me there, and that's where my my path is, and sure enough, it took off, and, and now successfully three years goes by, and August of this year will be three full years of clinics, lessons, and virtual coaching, and um. And it's good, you know, I do I still miss having family? Yes. Um, did I get my hip surgery and now I'm getting better so I can enjoy riding horses again? Yes. And so all those things are coming together. Is it taking forever to, for everything to come together? Yes. So, but the reason I'm sharing all that with you is because I know many of you in the group are finding things that are challenging some of you have been hurt or sick or job troubles or uh, horse hurt. Horses have died. Um, you know, some of you have been hurt or sick. Um, I know the members, you know, we've had 250 people sign up for the virtual coaching group and over 100 in the group at all times. Um, and some come and go with the seasons and, and with life and what goes on and I just want you to know that I know where you're at and I know that, um, you know, God is there for us and we have to pray and just not lean on our own understandings of things, but just keep working towards what 
I think what you know in your heart or your gut is what you want and, and where God is guiding you. And, and hopefully if you do it, I guess, and, and, um, and, you know, for the right intentions, um, things will work out the way they're supposed to, at least that's what I have learned. And, um, and I guess that's what I wanted to share with you as my story today. Um, I think it's important that, you know, with this weekend being Easter going by and, um, you know, all of that, you just keep those things in mind. Um, what Jesus went through, what God had Jesus go through for us to save us. It's just, to me, it's just such an amazing gift. And um, Easter is a time that I think we should always reminisce about um, maybe forgiving people that have hurt us or, um, you know, just letting ourselves move forward and and staying in the present and not always worrying about what the future is going to bring and not holding on to the past, but rather just being happy and grateful and thankful for this day and where we are today. So um, with that, I'm going to move on to our challenges and our mindset challenge for this month was to go back and look at what you had written down um, in January, every January, I have you guys do a performance tracker or bow racing log and write down what your goals are going to be in your schedules and then kind of look at it every quarter. And that's where we are the first quarter and see, you know, where you can, what you've learned, what you've documented, where you can make adjustments to improve. And then your skill challenge for the month, this month is to take action daily um, use the members only website, use the uh, group search and go back to basics during the week. Um, fix any holes in your rider's cues, fix any holes in your horse's foundation. Go back and do slow work on the pattern, um, tune them up. That's our topic for today, um, how to tune up your horse, um, how to warm up and tune up a horse to keep them sharp. And of course, each is an individual so we're going to have that as our topic today after I answer a few questions. Um, there is an April special going on right now. If you refer a friend and they join for two months, you get one month free. Just make sure they mention your name when they sign up. Um, and again, um, a little housekeeping before I answer questions. If you send me a video to review, you can send it in the Coach Now app or to Facebook Messenger or an email but not text. Text comes out blurry for some reason. Um, if you have an original video, that's always best. And um, when you send it, please tell me the name of the arena, the name of the horse, the winning time, your time, and any concerns you have. That helps me um, know what I'm looking at and be able to write that in the Coach Now app to refer in the, in the future back to it if we need to compare. Um, for our record. So that's that. And, um, okay. So the first question, let's see here, how to set your horse. Oh, how to get your horse to stand still when you get on. So that one's a pet peeve of mine. I have people come for lessons or clinics and the horses dancing around, dancing around. They will not stand when they get on. Um, you know, some people don't mind, like I watch ropers all the time, hop on a moving object, but I like my horse to be respectful and stand when I get on and allows me time to adjust when I get on, get my stirrups situated and just overall teaches my horse to be patient and calm. 
So if I'm going to get on a horse that's not standing, uh, what I'm going to do is take their nose and face flex them laterally from their rein where their head comes to their stirrup. And then I'm going to disengage their hindquarters around several times. And then I'm going to ask them to woe again. And if they don't, I'm going to face flex again, disengage again. And I will continue to do that until they decide it'd be easier just to stand and let her get on than keep doing this one rein stop and disengage my hindquarters. And um, even before I get on, I try to connect with their brain. I might lunge them really quickly around me with my split reins or if I have my halter and lead on still, I'll have them go left, right, forward, back. Or after I put on my bit, I'll just face flex them left side three times, right side three times and um, connect to their brain and give them the calm down cue before I even think of stepping on. So that way they're already in the thinking side of their brain instead of the um, go or flee side. So sometimes just face flexing your horse three times each side before you get on will help them learn to stand. For those of you that use a mounting block, some horses get wise to that when they're next to the mounting block, they're going to have to go to work. So I will face flex and disengage with the mounting block in between me and the horse as well. <clears throat> so that they learn that the mounting block, they're going to have to work around it until they'll stand quietly next to it. So those are things that I would do to get them to stand. Next question, how to get snappy turns. Um, so for me, when I'm training for snappy turns, <coughs> it's about having a horse that's super broke and they rate off my body for collection and transition. So it's easy in, easy around a barrel and then hurry out. And I want them to really work off my hips, my legs, smooching, my rein hand forward. Um, so a really good thing to do is let's say you're walking the barrel pattern. You walk in and you, you know, you're sitting, going in for rate, you're shaping from spot one to two for roundness. But then when you get to the pivot spot, you put the rein hand forward and just kind of use your inside hip and pull up on the horn outside like and smooch and whatever speed they go out you let them go out they could trot out they could lope out and then halfway across the pin halfway to the next barrel sit down and ask them to slow back down to you maybe it's a walk maybe it's a jog maybe it's a slow lope whatever you're working on so it's easy in easy around and then let them have that fire out whatever speed they want don't take it from them until halfway across the pin and another thing i like to do is figure eights with a snap that is a really good one i'll do 10 foot figure eights, nice and slow and soft. And then I'll do some regular figure eights, maybe five, four, three, five feet going in spot one, four feet spot two on the backside, and then three feet spot three coming out. Again, it's easy in rate going in, soften spot one to two round, and then snap out and hurry out spot three, you know, the pivot spot. <clears throat> so that's what I would do. Not finishing turns. Um, if you have a horse that's not finishing turns, a lot of times it's a rider cue issue. Maybe you're letting them start their turn too soon at their shoulder, or maybe you're getting up too soon and rushing them out. So they step off instead of finish. Um, so a couple of things are happening here. Either you're rating and turning when their shoulders at the barrel, or you're starting your turn good. But before you get to your pivot spot, you're getting up and driving them out. So they step off sideways instead of finishing the turn. So if that happens, I would do D pattern. D pattern's great to get a rider to communicate better with their body, to sit through the entire turn, use their inside hip, outside leg to finish in a straight line and tight. 
Um, I would also do inline barrels. You can do that with two or three barrels. And that's the same concept of D pattern. It'd just be a double or triple D. Um, instead of a big D, little D, they're all the same size Ds in a row. Um, there's videos for that in the group, um, also at the members only page, um, as well as the figures eights with a snap is at the members only and also in the search in the group. Um, there's always going to be videos for just about everything I coach for. Um, remember when you're wanting a horse to finish a turn to sit back on your inside hip to look where you want them to go the next next barrel spot that you want to go to using your inside hip and shoulder your outside leg and your inside hand with bumping and releasing be sure that you're in the hole at spot one and two and not starting your turns too soon as well so keep those things in mind the next question is about how long should i ride a young horse versus an open horse um well when i was a kid my mom used to tell me 10 minutes per one year of age. So yearlings work them on the ground 10 minutes, two-year-olds 20 minutes, three-year-olds 30 minutes. But once you start riding them, let's say at two or three, I never like to start riding until three, but, and then I do barrel training at four and compete at five personally. Um, you know, I want my horses to last till they're in their twenties if I want them to, you know, and have a good 15 years of competition. Um, and be rideable still when they're in their 20s if I wanted to trail ride them. So I try to do things to keep a horse sound. And I don't want to have to do a lot of injecting and things that might break them down sooner. So I just did things like that. So I love a lot of long trail rides. So if you were riding on the trail, just walking an hour or so would be awesome. But if you're only, you know, working on mental tough stuff in the arena, I think 30 minutes is max. So let's say you do 10 minutes of a nice, easy warm-up, you know, just bonding with your horse, maybe out in the cow pasture or whatever, maybe in the arena just on the rail. So a nice, easy 10-minute warm-up, and also have a 10-minute cool-down. But in the middle, you could do 20 to 30 minutes of more mental stuff where you work on dry work or drills or slow barrels or poles. Um, but, you know, if it's just easy work and you're out on the trail, an hour or so is fine. So a young horse, obviously, um, you know, they can't handle a lot, but it, then again, an open horse doesn't need a lot. So either whether they're young or open, what I would do differently isn't so much how much time I spend in the saddle per ride is how many rides I get in per week. So my open horse may only need to be ridden every other day or two or three rides during the week and then compete once on the weekend. Um, but my no novice horse or my green horse might need five rides during the week because they're still learning things. And so maybe I'd ride them Monday through Thursday, give them off Friday, and then haul them somewhere on Saturday. Whatever, you know, just you kind of have to know your horses. Um, my open horse might get the day off before competition, but ridden two or three days during the week and then get a day off after competition. So a schedules are just going to vary on the individual horse. So you just kind of have to know your horse, but young horses, I don't think you want to be picking at them and picking at them for too long. Um, but I think, but you know, having four or five of those rides that are 30 minutes of learning are important for them. The open horse really just need conditioning. So you could do them 30 minutes of just, you know, more of a conditioning exercises than really a lot of drills or dry work, even though you might do that once or twice a week. 
Um, but trail riding, you want to fit in there too, because that's just good mental time, change of environment, relaxing, bonding time, but yet still conditioning nice and easy. So just remember, horses are like people, they break down too with arthritis, and that's why you want to not overuse your horse or overpressure them. Um, but yet you want to have them trained well as, as well. So um, I guess it just depends on your end goal. For me, the end goal is always the horse comes first and the sport comes second. So the next question is about vet care and um, uh, running. Okay, okay. So uh, getting a horse to last for 15 years. They said I talk about my horses running 15 years. So so Callie and Maggie, um, sadly, I got them at five and 10 and they were pretty much used up. Um, was it genetics? No, I don't think so. I think it was human. I think t they were pushed too early, too young. Poor Callie already had three babies at five years old because of her bloodlines and um, they bred her two, three, four. So when I bought her at five, she had a full by her side. So I think that's why she broke down at 15. Um, Maggie, same thing. They started pushing her for charities at three and four and injecting her and a lot of neglect in between. And then she was owned by a junior rodeo family that would, if she ran poorly, they'd go home and put a mule bit on her and run her hard again and just really too hard. Um, and she was alley sour in 3D when she came to my barn in training. I felt bad for her. And just with some TLC, she became 1D for me. So um, so those are all things to consider. Uh, some of it could be genetics, but I think a lot of it is just care and neglect and maybe too much too soon. Now, Belle, Briscoe, and Sister, I got them all at three, and um, they never had to be injected. Um, I didn't have to worry about ulcers or Lasix. Um, you know, because of the way that I cared for them, I've always done mainly, uh, quality forage like ONA hay. I've never been one to feed much feed, maybe as a treat, um, or with, you know, soaked hay cubes or hay pellets, but, um, just to give them their minerals, vitamins and minerals or whatever supplement they might've needed. Um, but again, I don't over supplement either. I think less is more in most cases. If you just keep a horse in shape and give them quality hay and minerals, you're going to be just fine in most cases. Um, so I also didn't run their legs off. Um, I ran 25 to 35 runs per year. That's about twice a month. Um, I didn't go every single weekend um, because I felt like my horses did better. And I think you just have to know your horses. Um, some, if you run them every weekend, they get really stressed by it. Some lose their desire to compete. Um, I also was picky about what pins I put them in, pins that they liked and arenas I knew the ground was safe. So my horses ran more like every other weekend, you know, or twice a month. So again, that's just me and how I did it. And that's how my horses lasted 15 years. In 15 years, I had Belle injected in her hawks one time with a steroid and Sister and Briscoe injected in their stifle one time with HA following a vet's request. Now, Callie in Colorado, when I didn't know better and I didn't follow holistic stuff as much, um, I did what the vet said and kept her shot all the way around and did hawk injections every six months and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and Maggie had a lot of injections too. And, um, you know, those are the mares that broke down earlier. So... 
So I don't think injections of steroids, especially, um, they're a quick fix so that you can compete again. But the, the problem is like me, I got my hip injected. I felt great for a month. And then I was in worse pain after because I overdid it during that month because I felt better. And then I was really hurting. And the problem is it's bone on bone now because a lot of times steroids break down the joint even more. And some horses' hocks will fuse. The lower hock joint will fuse and they may never have pain again in it. And others will always have pain. So steroids aren't um, a cure-all by any means. And the hyaluronic acid is just trying to make what's maybe a, a watery fluid more oily in there, um, which will lube it up better. But once the um, cartilage is gone and you're on bone on bone, you're really at a point of no return. That's when, like for humans, you get surgery. And for horses, sadly, they usually retire. You know, there are stem cell research and other options out there, but you know, it's extremely costly. And, and generally, when your joints are worn out, they're worn out. So, so that's why I always try to follow those as my guideline. Um, question, nerves before run. Um, this rider says she gets really nervous before she competes. My thought is keep it simple. The kiss theory, keep it simple, silly. Um, there's three things you need to do. Breathe. Take some big, deep breaths in and out, big exhales. Trust your training during the week, your teamwork you've built with your horse. And then just number three, focus on your spots. Don't overthink it. Trust your work you did during the week. Take a big exhale and then ride to your spots. That's the only way you're going to get good at it. And treat it, you know, treat it like you're at home at practice. Um, don't get in your head. Stay out of your head. So this, the topic for today is um, how to warm up or tune up your horse. I truly believe uh, a warm-up can make you or break you on your run. Um, number one, it's not a social event. Get off by yourself, warm your horse up, connect with your horse. Um, number two, you know, number one, a little bit more. A lot of times I see riders sit around and socialize and they're not even focused on their run and then it doesn't go well, you know, or... Um, they get there late and they're rushed and that doesn't go well either. But number two, treat your horse like you're at home. A horse knows when you're acting different. So you've got to trust your training so that when you get there, you're on autopilot. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be have fun. Um, you love horses and you love barrel racing and keep that in mind when you're there. Um, and just let your let, treat your competition like you did your practice you know that that's that you've got that relationship you know where you're going to ride at home we do things slow we don't make runs but just keep that in mind when you're at competition your horse is going to be thinking it's like a you know same thing just you know faster so just stay relaxed and focused on doing your job number three you need to know how to warm up for a hot horse or a lazy horse um, I also am really, um, I have a routine that I do and I talked about that in the performance trackers, you should have a pre-race routine. So I like to do leg stretches and cookie neck stretches, that kind of stuff before my runs as well. But a hot horse, you might do a, a very long, slow warm up away from everything, more walking, more collected jogging, um, a lazy horse, you might wake them up more with some more long trotting, um, 
you know, uh, bigger, bigger loping circles, a little more, you know, moving them, not so collected. Um, the hot horse, you might do more stopping and backing and rollbacks or counter bending. Um, the lazy horse might need to do some quick, you know, 360s or counter bending, make sure they're moving off your leg and giving to their face. Um, you know, you know, you may uh, do, I have several warm up drills that I do. That's number four. Um, I have a three circle drill where you do nose in and then you do nose out and then you do head down. So lateral counter bend and vertical. Um, my second warm up drill is the go rate turn and you just work a straight line just like you would compete two hands for go, zip for rate, go to the horn and turn and, and then you go back out of it, repeat and turn the other way. So if you made a left turn, you make a right turn, etc. The third one I do is my up-down drill. That gets the horse when you're up, reaching with their shoulders when you're down, setting on their pivot foot. Number four, I do some rollbacks, some 360, some counterbending. That really gets their fancy footwork, gets their feet moving, gets them paying attention to you. Again, that comes back to number one. It's not a social event. Get off by yourself and make sure your horse is listening to you, just like you would at home. Um, and then, of course, number five, I do some woe and backing on that free runner that doesn't necessarily want to set a barrel um, or woe off my body and voice. Um, I'd make sure all that stuff, pilot to co-pilot's working. So the fifth thing is visualizing your run. Smooth is fast. That's so important. You got to understand where your stakes are, your timers, what might affect you in that arena. Is a barrel on a fence out in the open? Are there distractions? Visualize yourself having a good run on your horse. Number uh, six, your mental game. Being positive, having that pre-race routine, maybe saying a prayer for safety, um, taking those deep breaths, um, and uh, and not being negative, not saying, oh, I suck in this arena, or my horse never does good in this arena. Positive self-talk, positive thoughts. If you have a negative thought, replace it with a positive right away. Number seven, in the holding pin, um, learn to relax and, and um, breathe. And if your horse will just stand there, that's best. Will you just take deep breaths? If you have to, you can do some face flexing, calm down cues while they stand, face flex laterally, left and right. That can help some horses relax as well. But remember to relax your whole body, your shoulders, your ribs, your, your hips, your um, legs, your hands. Be relaxed through your whole body as you're waiting your turn and as you head to the alleyway. Talk to your horse. Good, good girl. Good boy. You know, we got this. You know, I'm happy and thankful to be here. Um, number eight, your alleyway approach is really important too. Is it a long score? Is it a short score? Is the alleyway centered with third? Um, where would I take off? Would I come in easy from the back? and um, Or do I, you know fire my horse up and run hard from the back. Every horse is different. Um, and you have to base it upon that individual horse's needs. So keep that in mind. Number nine, um, make a, like I mentioned, make a plan for that arena and never quit trying when you're competing. Um, if you get by a barrel, don't worry about it. Just make it up on the next barrel. If you, you know, rock one, but it's still standing. I don't even like to pull up if I hit a barrel because I want my horse to keep trying. Unless I think my horse is hurt from slipping or something like that. Uh, that's the only time I would pull up on a run 
is if I thought they took a misstep and could be sore. Um, number 10, uh, have a cool down and a cool down routine. You know, maybe you go back to the alleyway while they're dragging, loosen your cinch, you know, get off and loosen their cinch when they exhale or whatever. Um, but your goal sh should be always to be building their confidence and never taking it away. So always pet your horse at the end of your run, good or bad, because you haven't, you're on adrenaline. You haven't had time to review your video or photos to see if it was a rider cue or a horse thing. Um, so always reach down and pet them because they tried and then don't, don't be a bad sport. Lose your temper with your horse. If you have a bad run, just let it go until you have time to calm down and review what went, went on. Um, so that's important as well. But like I said, some horses need to be cooled down mentally in the saddle. Some you can just get off and loosen your cinch and hand walk them. But cool downs are just as important as warm ups. So always have a good cool down routine as well. Um, the uh, the final thing I'd like to close on for that topic is winning or learning. And that's the deal. You're either winning or you're learning from it. And that's why you have a performance tracker. You write down what you learn from that arena. You look at it the next time you're going there or to your next barrel race. Right. You know, look and see how things went and what you plan to do different and try not to overthink it. Maybe pick one thing to work on at each barrel race. One thing is really important. If you think about too many things, you're going to be mechanical. Your timing's going to get off and you're not going to ride as well. Um, always focus on your best runs. If you had a bad run, learn from it, let it go, move on to the next one. But when you're getting ready to run or that week ahead, focus on your highlight reel, your best runs, and just always think about the positive stuff that you've done and your best, best with your horse. Um, learn from your mistake, move on. Like I said, do your performance tracker to keep track of your changes, good and bad. What works, what's not working. Um, you know, you know, always be trying to make progress and be proud of any progress you do make. Um, perspective is important. Um, so often we get caught up in chasing points or winning money or doing well. We forget that we're blessed to do what we want to do, that we have, you know, the life that we want. Um, your time is your most valuable commodity. You cannot get it back. So your horse is going to get old. Your horse is going to get sore. So do you. So balance really does matter. I hear people say you can't have balance, but I think you can. Um, you know, does it always stay that way? No. Um, but I think you can find a way to balance God and your family, your career, your horses, your passion, and still be true to your heart. Um, I think that's really an important part of it. Um, you know, I think there's some personality types that are, you know, maybe uh, perfectionists or overachievers and, and they, you know, get a little harder time finding balance. Um, I think there's some people who procrastinate and are lazy and they have a hard time finding balance, but I think you need to try to find that happy medium um, because you do need to have, you know, your God and family and all of that in there as well. Um, because when it's all said and done, you know, you have to think what matters the most. And that's why I always say horse first and, and, um, sport second. And that's what ride with heart is to give a hundred percent inside and outside the arena, but to always put the horse first. So I'm going to close with Proverbs three, five through six. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. Um, think of him in all of your ways and he will guide you on the right path. So thank you guys for tuning in this week. And as always, ride with heart and God bless.